Forever Young Adult, where we discuss the monthly book club pick for foreveryoungadult.com. This month is Conviction. My name is Annie, and I am coming to you from the San Francisco chapter of Forever Young Adult. I am Jenny, also from San Francisco Forever Young Adult, and also FYA headquarters. And I'm Britt, also from SFFYA. You can find us online at foreveryoungadult.com, on Instagram... Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Tumblr, <laughs> Pinterest, um, Goodreads also. Yeah, oh yeah, Goodreads. We haven't been mentioning that the last few months. That's how I found you. So yeah, come come join us, follow us, and listen along. Be our friend. Warning: If you hear the party horn, that means there are spoilers. Sure. We start with our amuse-bouche, which I realize I didn't write, so if anyone wants to go <laughs> with a short, concise description of the book. All I knew going into this book was that it was about God and baseball. That <laughs> might have been my fault. I might have told you guys that. Um, <laughs> I've I was I'm not ready. <laughs> I am the person who picked this book. Oh, so you with the dark choices. Yeah, well, it's really good. It's about God and baseball, guys. That's it. It. it well, nothing untoward here. And <laughs> a trial, and as a former lawyer, you know, it, it's it's hitting all my sweet spots. Anyway, this book is about Brayden, a young man whose father may or may not have purposely run over a police officer. And the book deals with the fallout from his father's arrest, the trial, and ultimately whether or not he'll be convicted. Yeah. I actually liked the title conviction because it's it goes perfect yeah it goes with is his dad gonna get convicted for the murder of this officer but also there's like there really is a strong theme of belief in god and faith so mm -hmm. like his conviction in things also his the conviction main in his father yeah mm -hmm. yeah so his father is a reformed what was he before he was like he's basically a religious speaker He's kind of he's a, a, radio a radio personality. Yeah. He's a radio personality. Before that, he was a janitor at the radio station. Mm -hmm. And then that's he got... Right. Oh, no. Well, he was a baseball player. But then oh, he hurt himself. Right. Yeah. And then uh, couldn't play anymore. He was a minor league player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then kind of got this job as a janitor at the radio station and then kind of found an opening when one of the DJs was absent and they liked him. So then he got a And he has show. a religious talk show, which is important. Yeah. But he's a, come to he's a late comer to faith. He was living yes. his life in a way, and then he found God, and now he lives his life ostensibly in a different way. Well, there is no more faithful than the recently converted. Our appetizers are peanut butter and jelly and sad Central Valley. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> one of our previous months, when was I'll Meet You There? That was last year, right? A couple years ago. Yeah. Compare the Central Valley of I'll Meet You There with Conviction. Same yep. area way different interpretations yeah i'll meet you there is by heather demetrios and if you haven't read it it deals with a young woman who is living in the central valley close to fresno and she basically is working up the courage to leave her home and go to san francisco for art school when she falls in love and she hates the central valley but she falls in love with uh, an army vet a disabled army vet and finds out that the Central Valley may not be so bad after all. 
I am from the Central Valley of California. In fact, this is the first book that I've ever read, except for a book about the I-5 serial killer, where my hometown... The Wire. No. (laughs) 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 It's true crime. (laughs) No, the the I-5 killer uh, went up and down I-5 of California in the 70s and murdered a bunch of women. Of course. This is the first time that I've ever seen my hometown, which is Ceres, C-E-R-E-S. So if you see it in the book, that's how it's pronounced. After the goddess of harvest, I Mm -hmm. believe she was Roman. Anyway, first time I've ever seen my hometown mentioned in a book. Even I'll meet you there. And I have to say that the portrayal of the Central Valley is really on point. But so is Heather Demetrios's. And it's really interesting how this sad Central Valley suits this book but also you know heather heather demetrios portrays the central valley as kind of beautiful in its own way and they're both very valid interpretations have you guys ever been i mean i've driven around i don't know technically what counts as central valley to be perfectly honest even though i've been here over 10 years i still don't (laughs) really know i haven't either I know, I know I've driven around a lot of places. I've driven near Mid- Fresno. Modesto, Bakersfield, Fresno, the Sacramento. Those are the I mean, major cities. I've been to Sacramento cities. and driven through. The yeah. I-5s. I've driven I-5 up mm-hmm. and down going to L.A. and then up north. So so anybody who hasn't been there, it is primarily an agricultural area. It's responsible for most of the almonds that anybody gets in the country. A lot of the produce that you see grown in California is grown in the Central Valley. It's hot. It's dusty. From about November to March, there's what's called tule fog, which is mentioned in this book, which is so thick that you can barely see a block away. It's not like San Francisco fog at all. It's predominantly white and Hispanic, very religious, very conservative. So when you look at a map, like a political map of California, we've got blue LA and blue San Francisco and all of those red counties that are in the middle of the state, that's the Central Valley. That can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you are and what's going on in this book. It makes for some interesting conflict, and yeah. but very true to life. I wasn't even thinking about Omi either. I, I definitely got a strong Serpent King vibe from this book, just because of like the whole religion and believing enough will like absolve you of your sins. Mm abusive father trey kind of reminded me of what's the the friend's name the girl lydia lydia how she just wanted to get out and like never look back although Mm -hmm. they were for different reasons whereas brayden was just like i like it here this is home this is comfort this is what i know and yeah small town i would have to say that that's those are two the two perspectives that you see anybody who's thinking about going to college and from mm-hmm. when from a at least from when I grew up, everybody either wants to get the hell out of there or it's comforting and they stay. My mm-hmm. dad is somebody who stayed. I grew up wanting to get the hell out of here, so I've spent the last 10 years in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's like I've driven through California and I know a little bit about some places, but it definitely made me feel it made me, it gave me a deeper perspective on just our area because technically Mm -hmm. where they are they like come into Oakland at some point you know they come in Mm -hmm. to like they're close enough to like swing by the city but then they're really out there so Mm -hmm. where I live near Modesto everything was an hour and a half away you could go to Yosemite which was an hour and a half away you could go to Sacramento which is about an hour and a half away San Francisco is an hour and a half away Fresno is an hour and a half away 
it was really a nice central location in that regard, but I did not enjoy living there for the most part until college. Our main course are, how do I say this word, Jenny? Ortolans. 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 Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. They're so Frenchy French birds. Forgive us if you know better. <laughs> <laughs> and whole fish. Actually, this is this book, the food in this book made me Oh drool. my God. <laughs> And one of my favorites, there's a whole entire amazing Easter menu. Uh, one of the items on there is quail and pear ravioli with candied Meyer lemon. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound amazing? <laughs> it does sound amazing. <laughs> and did we did we all take note that it was kind of wasted on everybody? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, wasted on people because they didn't really have the same appreciation for, mm-hmm. like, you know, the culinary arts as Trey did. But also, like, whenever he something wasn't just right, he'd throw it away and start yeah. over. Or it almost seemed like it was kind of, like, cathartic for him in a way. Like, he'd be, like, pounding meat or whatever and, like, making all this food. And then Brayden would see it in the trash later. Yeah. So I wonder yeah. if that was just part of his, like, coping mechanism or, like, way to release, like, all of his emotions. Oh, definitely. By putting it into the food. I don't know. You know how you always say, like, oh, it's or you always hear that things are cooked with love or whatever. Mm. So I wonder if that's part of the reason why he threw it away because he's like pouring all of his anger into mm-hmm. the food and then like doesn't want to consume it back. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I definitely thought it was, it was like this, you know, we're in this really simple place of the world where I five quarter chain restaurants, you know, I don't really think of like culinary arts and this is the older brother who's like gone to New York and made a name for himself as a restaurateur and then right. comes back and is trying to like show his pride, like show mm-hmm. what he's learned. And then it's just like lost on these people who would never even understand what it means to eat this, these foods that he's trying to create. I got to say, full disclosure, I love this book because it not only was a good story in my opinion, but these little details like like what we've just been talking about they all feel very true like my my dad's family is um a farm family it historically they have worked on farms owned farms still work on farms and i had a wedding party and i made salted caramel squares that have shortbread on the bottom and one of my one of my cousins wouldn't eat it because it was salted caramel <laughs> oh my goodness and they like some of his family members not not any of the ones that I'm close to, but some of his family members like think that you know people who move to San Francisco get above themselves. Yeah, and this highfalutin fancy food. Yeah, <laughs> and they, you know I've seen that sentiment where people in the Central Valley resent those of us coastal elites, mm-hmm. even and though you, you know see that in the Serpent King too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm blanking on the name. Dylan. Dil. 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 Kind of accuses Lydia of that too. Like mm-hmm. oh. Like, you're too good for this town, and you're just going to go away and, like, pretend, you know, deny where you came from and mm-hmm. that kind of idea. Yeah. yeah, there's this whole divide in YA about being, like, too good in, in inhuman existence, being too good and just, like, wanting something better for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't fit in there, so I left, but apparently that that can be a betrayal to some people because they think that it directly reflects on their choices, mm-hmm. when in reality it's just I didn't find my people there until like my last couple of years living there yeah so well with the food comes religion so Mm -hmm. i mentioned the easter meal but there is a moment where so the ort the ortolans ortolans or however you say them the fancy birds the fancy birds birds in a box basically his brother has gotten them on the black market and they're little Mm -hmm. tiny birds 
And throughout the book, he's fattening them to consume them. <laughs> and Brayden finds this kind of terrifying. He's like, why are you keeping birds as pets that you're just like fattening? Mm-hmm. And he's like, we're going to eat them. And he's just like, it, it just, <laughs> it's just really hard for him to come to terms with. But later he finds this note that his brother has written to himself about what the Ortolan means. And this is after he released the birds in, out of spite. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He releases them. Ah, siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so he, this, uh, this is what's written down. It says, to consume an Ortolan or- is an act of spiritual pilgrimage. Lift a napkin over your head to hide your cruelty from God and eat the whore Ortolan at once. The rich fat on your tongue is God. The bitterness of the organs, the suffering of Christ. And as you chew the bones, your own blood mixing salt with fat and flesh is the Trinity. The separate existing as one. This is the holiness of the divine Trinity dwelling in mystery within us. Through this act of worship, God is made known. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, that was intense. Right? Yeah, I definitely took a deep breath when I read that. Wow. <laughs> I think if Brayden had known his reasons, then he wouldn't have released the birds. You think he would have still been able to eat them? No. I don't know if he would have eaten them, but I think he would have. Because he always kind of accuses his brother of not being religious or like not finding God or mm-hmm. whatever. So I think if he had read that note, he wouldn't have released the birds because he would have been like, oh, okay, this is an important religious ceremonial thing to him and i'm gonna respect how how he chooses to see god or find god or whatever it's interesting because the whole ritual here to me reads really catholic and full disclosure i was raised catholic but i think most of the central valley in my experience is uh some form of protestant and which is what i assume that brayden and mart and trey were raised at or practice so that felt interesting to me that Trey's choosing this. I've studied Catholicism, medieval Catholicism, specifically in undergrad as part of my history degree, and Catholicism is all about ritual and blood and sacrifice, and I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting that he chose this uh, very out there religious metaphor for his dinner that may or may not conflict with what his family actually practices. I thought it was interesting because I think that he can't, I think Trey, the older brother, can't come to terms with God because, (coughs) one, spoiler alert, he's homosexual, and Mm -hmm. that's not accepted in many, many conservative religions. And then he's also, like, escaped, and his his religion is food. So I kind of saw this as his, like, I can't experience God on my own because I feel rejected by God, because I feel like I couldn't understand the God that my father was trying to sell me. But I can understand the food, so I'm going to understand God through this experience as my only path. Well, and cooking is very ritualistic in and of itself, and meditative, and peaceful. And he's he's moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what I recall. So he's moving to New York, where obviously he is going to be able to find a boyfriend and live happily ever after. But the object of his affections is married to a woman, and and a religious person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think cooking is his religion and is his way of dealing with all of this stuff. But, whoa, what a heavy-handed ritual to right. <laughs> decide to serve to your unrequited love. Who knows he's his unrequited love? 
I found that really fascinating. I don't think it was unrequited. I definitely think they're having sex. They're not acting. Oh, I didn't think they were acting on it, but I do think I that they're. Who's he's meeting with in yeah. the night then? I didn't think they were acting on it. There was one time when um, Brayden gets up in the middle of the night or he can't sleep or whatever and he goes downstairs for water and then Trey comes down and he's like, why are you up? He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I just couldn't sleep. I need some water. And then he hears like some rustling mm-hmm. moving around from upstairs and he's like, do you have somebody here? And Trey's like, go back to bed. <laughs> and he's like, you have a girl over? And Trey's like, go back to bed or whatever. And then he hears them leave. Or yeah. Whatever. So I thought that yeah. they were on the DL or whatever. Me too. Well, for the and whole book, I thought it was going to be the wife, Jenna. True, too. me too. Yeah, they did kind of set it up. Whoa. Like excellent job, Kelly Lloyd Gilbert. I'm not usually fooled, but that one. Also, like, uh, Brayden has a moment where um, he sees Kevin. Kevin? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Put his hand on, uh, like, Trey's hip, yeah. kind of, in, like, a loving gesture and it kind of changes his mind about Trey a little bit because like when he first found out he was just like oh my god this is a sin you're disgusting like how can you do this we're raised not to you know be gay (laughs) or whatever and then he sees that and he's like and he sees like the love in that gesture and thinks well he kind of I think if I'm remembering correctly has a well I guess it doesn't really matter who it's from because it's nice that he has somebody who loves him like Mm -hmm. that or something so I I think they were I think it's just that Kevin wasn't willing to make the sacrifice of like leaving his wife and kid whereas right. like Trey told his girlfriend at the time that mm-hmm. he was yeah. and ended it and then Kevin I guess wants to keep up the facade because he's also going back to seminary. Yes. Yep. He says that he's strayed and I think what he means by that is he's back with Trey when Trey's there. Yeah. I figured see I figured that all of those midnight meetups were for them to angstily talk about it and maybe make out but i didn't <laughs> oh but <my> serious <laughs> no seriously i did I, I genuinely didn't see kevin's character as somebody who is going to go ahead and have sex with this guy because mm. to me he seemed so conflicted and tortured that he struck me as the kind of guy that would almost go there but not quite yeah maybe maybe but he also has been torturing himself for 10 years since he's known since mm-hmm. they were in high school as friends I thought oh, I think they probably did it in high school. Yeah. He's probably felt guilty all the time. That that was my reading of it. Interesting. I would love to read this book from Trey's perspective. Right. Yeah. I liked him better than Brayden. Well, Brayden's Brayden's a baby. He doesn't know what's going on until until all of a sudden he's in it. And he's had this privileged position in the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said Serpent King and um I can't remember the other one, but like I don't know what it is with YA, but why can't any of the boys have like good fathers? <laughs> My guess is that maybe it's to let boys know that this does happen and mm. it's not just them and if they do have a crappy father, you know, it's okay to have feelings about it. Yeah. They definitely have two different fathers. Oh yeah. Mart doesn't find religion until after he's already had Trey as a son and Trey's what like 12 years older mm-hmm. he's a lot years older yeah, yeah something like that and then here comes Brayden which he now has like after reli- he basically finds religion through Brayden also yeah. right yeah 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 this tiny helpless baby you know the mother left and now he has to but take care of him it's like here's my chance to start over mm-hmm. and like raise this one right I messed up with the first one he turned out gay mm-hmm. <laughs> let's see if I can get a duo do over you see that a lot with unhealthy families uh when the adult children have babies 
the parents think that okay, here's my chance to, to do over. I'm yep. Uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a do over, baby. That's terrifying. It is terrifying, <laughs> but that it's another reason that I felt like this book was really, really emotionally and uh, psychologically accurate. <laughs> I just I I want to ask, but I don't want to ask Kelly Lloyd Gilbert. <laughs> where did you get your inspiration for this? Right. Boy, does it feel real. Well, she's local author, right? She is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- yeah. But that doesn't mean, don't worry, Kelly Lloyd Gilbert, we're not going to come stalk you and ask you. <laughs> I guess we've read other ones where the girl is being groomed like her mother, like in, um, what's the one with the Texas pageant show? Um, Dumpling? Dumpling. Yeah. Where the mother is trying to remake her as herself and has basically given up. Mm-hmm. But in, the, you know, in this one. I mean, isn't isn't that kind of the human condition to look at this tiny baby who is of the same sex you are and go, okay. This is going to be the better version of me. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he is so insistent on turning Brayden into a baseball star, mm-hmm. too, because, like, he lost his chance when he got yeah. injured. And so he, like, puts everything into Brayden and it's really, really intense about it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because at one point, Brayden is playing with the, the alternate pitcher, like, messes up or doesn't listen to Colin, the catcher's hand signal mm-hmm. or whatever and like Trey's not Trey uh Brayden's yelling at him afterward and the guy's like it's just a game and Brayden's like he loses it yeah, yeah it, to him it's not just a game yeah. and to Mart game to yes. Mart it is so not just a game yeah yeah I, and the fact that he like you know like baseball stats like gives him a letter on his birthday every year with his oh my god stats as a son and as a baseball that player. was so that blew my mind with how casually cruel it was. And how Brayden didn't see anything wrong with it. Yeah. Well, that's because that's all he knew. Yeah. I love the slow reveal of this book and how, you know, first Mart seems like maybe he's a little overbearing, but he's super excited because his son is super talented. Yay. You know, and of course, as a parent, you want to see your kid do better than you. Yeah. But and then it just becomes. Oh, no, no. No, I'm with you there. Then it just becomes gradually revealed to be more and more emotionally abusive until you're like oh man i bet that guy did run the emotionally and yeah physically abusive yeah. physically yeah too yeah. yeah but even in his in the dad's like darker moments he tells brayden don't turn out like me mm-hmm. but at the same time he's trying to groom him into turning yeah a better version yeah that's a little that's what a little creepy and terrifying to me is like maybe i always thought my parents wanted to be my wanted me to be my own person but now i'm like are they trying to make me them (laughs) i think think your parents are a lot more emotionally healthy than the ones in this book but i mean i I think it well i think it's the natural thing like if i had a daughter i'd be like man i hope you're a history nerd (laughs) i hope you like vintage barbie and i hope you know we can and the color turquoise (laughs) 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 you know i i hope you like all these things that i like so we can relate but at the same time you know emotionally healthy people realize yeah your kid is going to be their own person and they'll let you know Mm -hmm. the slow reveal is a really good way to put it because you realize that his entire life is totally orchestrated in a way where he's like constantly navigating some situations throughout the day where he may or may not be abused by his father yeah and and where he has to decide whether or not to tell people about that like there and he thinks he deserves it Mm -hmm. yeah like i can't tell anybody about my father hitting me because obviously i deserved it Mm -hmm. and then something bad might happen to him and look at all of the things he sacrificed for me 
And like God tells him that constantly. He's like, I'm the only one who could ever love you. That's like textbook yeah. mm-hmm. abuse. Like, oh, nobody will love you as much as me. And and like using raising him as like a bargaining chip kind of like I've done all this stuff for you. Why can't you get a tattoo of my name on your body? Oh my god, that was <laughs> intense. It'll be just like Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's when you really know he's gone off the uh, the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that he just, like, throws his son in the car in the middle of the night and just starts driving. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so creepy. And then they just go to this random guy's house and it was like, here's $600. Yeah, I, Do thought, the it deed. I thought it was going to be a drug deal. <laughs> Me I too. Thought I, I thought it was going to be. That was the moment that Brayden was just going to die. Al- although, since it was a flashback, obviously not. But Yeah. Well, it's well, super interesting because we have this, like, more Christian mor- morality and then, then we also have this baseball. And, like, mm. what he really cares about is baseball. And the morals in baseball are not true Christian morals. Because if someone does something to you, you do something back. You know? I know. Baseball was so, like, vengeful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, Sports really in general. I don't watch sports that much, and especially baseball. I'm sorry. I think it's a little boring. I mean, the whole, like, okay, so he did this, and, like, I'll get him back and make it look like an accident. And... Like, what the? He <laughs> has to know that yeah. you transgressed against the team. It's like eye for an eye stuff where, you know, like Jesus is mm-hmm. like turn the other cheek. You know, it's really it's this cherry pick it's of, uh, Old of Testament morality. Versus yeah. New Testament. <laughs> and it's the same with like the police situation. Like you would think his father is like an upstanding moral citizen and someone who mm-hmm. wants like people to act right with God would like be cool with the cops. But instead you have both a, a racial tension happening. Say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the cop is Mexican. So that changes things. Exactly. As well as just the dad is the one who wants to be setting the rules and not the one who's being told how to follow the rules. Oh, right. yeah. He also, like, I mean, he puts Brayden on such a pedestal. Like, I wonder if he sees Brayden in, like, a godly way. Mm. So the fact that the cop, like, insulted his mm. son just felt, like, sacrilegious to him or whatever. I thought mm-hmm. the story with the cop was super interesting because we have the relationship between the two families on the baseball level. Mm-hmm. Then we yes. have the relationship between the two families in a cop level, which you don't realize until it's played out, you know, like that they have history together. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the like flashbacks and the kind of slow reveal rather than telling us all the backstory at once. I think that works in some cases, but in this one, it definitely kept like my heart was pounding the entire. Yeah. But I read this in a day. I read this yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> and I just like couldn't put it down. Like my husband's watching TV in the next room, and for the first like half an hour that I was reading like he'd come running in the room because I'd be like oh my god <laughs> and he's like what's wrong and I'm like oh no sorry it's just my book <laughs> <laughs> come on Garrett you should be trained by now <laughs> you should well nerd's got a nerd <laughs> he says I have the same reaction to everything like there's no distinction between like oh if I break a nail or if I see a spider or if I <laughs> drop a knife on my foot like it's all the same level of oh my god so he always assumes the worst <laughs> Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad he's still checking on you. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is a super intense book. It's. I wouldn't say my heart was pounding, but it did keep me guessing the entire time. I yeah, definitely. I had a feeling, and so for anybody who is just joining us, I used to be a criminal defense attorney. So all of the legal issues yeah. in this book fascinated me. And in fact, a uh, fun fact. Somebody I went to law school actually was the person that Kelly Lloyd Gilbert uh, consulted for oh the legal cool. issues on this book. And he has not read the book as of the last time I talked to him. I saw his name in the author note and I emailed him and said, oh, my God, this book that you consulted on was so good. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I haven't read it. 
your thing to the author's note. Read the book. It's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, Albert, if you're out there, read the book. <laughs> I definitely thought that she did a really good job because there is like a lot of lawyering stuff, but mm-hmm. it's not like full on courtroom scene. Like you're actually yeah. never physically in the courtroom. You get all of this like secondhand scene and like the lawyer comes and talks to you and he sees it on TV and he like watches and he sees the news and everything. But then when it gets to the scene where you like you think you're going to get the confession, mm-hmm. you don't. And I, I thought that was well, really well done because I thought we yeah. were building up to that scene. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is just going to be a courtroom scene. But instead, it's it's yeah, it's still about the family. And I thought that was well done. A lot. Yeah. It was really effective. And by the way, for anybody who's interested, the the fact that that lawyer showed him the videotapes of the testimony. Like, how illegal is that? That is super (laughs) illegal. That is grounds for a mistrial. Mm. I think they even said that in the book. Because Brayden, he's trying his hardest to get out of this, having Mm. to testify. And he's just like, yeah, I don't think I should be mixed up in this. I I really shouldn't be involved. It's not my thing. I'm going to mess up or whatever. And the lawyer's like, this is a subpoena. You have no choice. Or whatever. Yep. And then at one point, I think Brayden tries to say, so what if I got up there and I told them about the videos? And then I think the lawyer says, it's going to be a mistrial. We have to start all over. And it's just going to prolong it. So nice try. <laughs> You're not going to Yeah. Get that. that was. So this is an example of a really bad criminal defense attorney. Did he get Don't disbarred? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. That is. That is a very very bad thing to do he would at least get disciplined pretty harshly in in my estimation i think yeah i think he would get disbarred and i was reading that going oh god i hope that all kids don't grow up thinking that all criminal defense attorneys are like this (laughs) because i know they watch law and order and (laughs) we're all portrayed as shitty people yeah but but really we just defend the constitution when we're good people (laughs) Like Annie, Annie, uh, Annie's mother is a criminal defense attorney. Yeah, it was making me feel like I was like, oh, this is like this is that rat attorney that nobody likes. <laughs> you know, he was very good at his job. Yeah, obviously, even in the like get around the rules way. But I was like, ooh, this yeah. is. Yeah, uh, he definitely reminded me of. Um, I'm blanking on his name. The lawyer from Empire. Ah. <laughs> Who's like. Uh, if Mandy Wan were here, she'd be <laughs> able to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blanking. And then also Saul from uh, yeah. <laughs> Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. You know, the yeah. ones who are just like, yeah, I know you killed people and stuff, but uh, I'm just going to like look the other way and well, okay, be so sneaky. You do have to, like, if your client yeah. doesn't flat out tell you, yes, I killed this person, but they don't tell you that they didn't, you, you have to go with what they give you. Yeah. Yep. You can't lie. And you can't encourage them to commit perjury, but you go with what they give you. You go with the facts of the case. You ask them questions. But if they're like, eh, eh, you know, I might have killed him, might not have, you you have to work with that. Yeah. Or, you know, I think with my mom's case, a lot of the times the clients, like, confess and she just tries to get them a better sentence. Mm-hmm. You know? like yeah. They're like, yeah, I did that, but I didn't have the knife in my hand, so please try to get me, like... <laughs> A lesser sentence where I'm not carrying the deadly weapon. Yeah, I had some clients tell me, yes, I did this. And some clients tell me, you know, no, I definitely didn't. But you know they're full of shit. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, you you have to work with what you're given. But this guy, oh, my God. Well, also, I I think it's a perfect pairing for Mart the dad because you have this, like, very cool, calm, collected, legitimate person who's doing nefarious things and just, like, bald-facedly going with it. And then you have the dad who's, like, super emotional 
doing nefarious things, but just like mm-hmm. bald facedly lying, you know, with all the emotional background like side to it and everything. One thing that I really liked about it was that it really gave me an interesting perspective from somebody who's not a lawyer, you know, because I've appeared in court and I've done trials and stuff before, but as a witness, you know, you try to you try to talk to your clients and and potential witnesses, you know, for your side and stuff, and counsel them about what it's going to be like and and all of that. But since I've never been a witness in court, mm. it was fascinating to read Braden's perspective of what it might be like and what he was dreading. Yeah, I was going to say that the the fact that the dad got off felt real mm-hmm. because. Oh yeah. The burdens on the prosecution, right? They have to prove mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt, doubt or whatever. Which doesn't mean mm-hmm. any possible doubt, but it means that the prosecution has to meet yeah. the, the legal standard. Yeah, the especially facts of the case. Yeah. Yeah, with Braden, in the end, turning t- out to, you know, prove his loyalty to his dad or whatever. Like, practices the rehearsed lines and doesn't say. Yeah what really happened and that one last act of obedience (laughs) right but i i love like when they go to visit him in the prison and trey is like you know so he lied for you the least you can do is like tell him the truth so he can have some closure and move on like did he do it and the dad's like yeah but i did it for you oh god the whole abusive you know that was super intense well he's trying to manage his image in every possible way to the public to his son's to himself. To himself. Yeah, but he's not ready to admit that he did a really horrible thing. Well, his whole life is, but he was, he thought that with Brayden, he had this do over and he was like now a better person and a better dad and a better religious person. Mm-hmm. But he's still doing the exact same thing. He mm-hmm. just like has this cast over it now. Yeah. So he l- is still rash- rationalizing it. Um, Something that kind of bothered me, and like we were talking about this in the car, and I think like mm-hmm. Jenny sees it a little differently, but I feel like um, Brayden came to the realization that his father was abusive. And I feel like Trey continues that cycle of abuse with Brayden. Mm. Like, he gets emotional and, and emotionally and physically abusive with Brayden, and Brayden doesn't come to that realization with Trey. It's more like he kind of falls back into the, like, oh, I must have done something wrong, and I'll, I'll do better next time, and I know you really love me and all this stuff. And I, and I feel like, I don't know, it's almost like Trey's getting a pass because... Mm. He's gay, and his father tried to kill him for it, so it makes sense that he would, like, do the same thing, and I don't know. It just felt like it wasn't really acknowledged there, because it's like he's leaving one abusive situation and really just getting himself into another one, and even though they're going to be removed from their father, things might be better. They might not. Mm-hmm. There I was a little bit of that. Yeah, I didn't. so I didn't <coughs> feel like he got a pass. I thought that Brayden is slowly coming to the realization that Trey's a lot like Mark, too. But they're both a lot like Mart in different ways. Mm-hmm. But it didn't bother me as much as it bothers Brit because I feel like it's not the end of their story. I think that when they go when they go wherever they're going, you know, they'll they'll figure it out. They've got this new this new knowledge to help bo- help them bond and see them through. So I guess I'm I'm being really optimistic here, but I felt that the father doesn't actually love them he's only trying to love himself in different ways he's not capable and i right he's not capable of truly yeah of truly being altruistic and i felt the two boys truly loved each other even though they're Mm. they're not boys one of them's 10 12 years older i felt like they truly loved each other and their goal was actually to protect each other what they have to get through is this emotional 
reflection and like reenactment that that is abuse that they both want to get rid of but don't know how so I didn't think that it was like the the same type of intentional like I'm manipulating you to make myself feel better I felt it was just like I'm a sad boy just like you mm. we've both been abused by the same person we both had this that yeah. that in our blood you know how are we gonna get through it because like Brayden was also a little bit abusive to him you know like with yeah. the, the birds and just like like he picked the thing that he cared most about to hurt him as much as he could. Well, and he thought that Trey was going to be with Jen or wanted to be with Jenna, yeah. and so he was trying he was upset about to that. be really spiteful. Yeah, mm-hmm. and saying nasty things as teenagers do. I see Britt's point. Yeah, and I see yours too. I'm just, I guess I'm more optimistic because <laughs> I want something to go right for both of them. <laughs> I th- uh, yeah, I don't know if it will i mean it no, was really tenuous mean. the whole thing like you were saying you your heart rate was up the whole time like it is one of the like i was just like waiting for the other shoe to drop i'm like oh shit this is not gonna go good it's not good there's nothing in this that is good there's like a brief flash of romance that he destroys <laughs> i liked that part i was like oh the one little bit of sunshine and then yeah. it's gone <laughs> i feel like yeah oh poor maddie i, I know felt but, but she was she was pretty darn kind to him and at least he acknowledged that he was a total jerk he ghosted on her yeah for real <laughs> but he, i think he was like perpetuating the cycle of abuse with her because mm-hmm. he didn't he saw her as like this object and not in the way of like objectifying like a oh, nice ass or whatever but like <laughs> the way that his dad sees him as like a way to kind of absolve his own sins like mm-hmm. through this other person mm-hmm. and i feel like good point he treated maddie as like a thing that he deserved if he was on good terms mm-hmm. with god and then when he felt like he wasn't on good terms with god he's like i don't deserve this thing i don't deserve maddie and then he like just cut her off that's such a good point and he yeah, yeah. And and he did a lot of like in the beginning. The book starts off with him bargaining with God. Right. Yeah. Oh man, that I don't know was if he really ever actually saw her as her own person, or just like, oh, here's a chance to not redeem myself in the way that the dad is, but like have a fantasy outside of my life. Yeah. 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 Or kind of like channel his I don't know his sense of morality into mm. kind of. I like was really glad that yeah that I can earn or not earn depending on my behavior and my relationship with God. The bargaining with God really struck mm-hmm. me. That's something that I used to do. Yeah. And it was just like, it made me feel like I didn't know if the book was going to be pro God in the end. And I think it leaves it a little open. I was really worried. I was like, Oh no, is this going to be pro God? Because I'm not one, I'm not gonna be able to handle that Two, It was just so familiar. And then it also felt like abusive. Cause like religion in my mind is very patriarchal and abusive. And which is one of the reasons why it I've totally left it can be, behind. Yeah or has tried to but it still comes like that cycle of like oh I owe Jesus something like comes back up to me you know it's like oh I should be praying so I I was like oh man yeah I'm not comfortable with this even with Trey like he uh, ironically I was gonna call it a come to Jesus moment but like (laughs) I really wish that he had that with Trey and he didn't he ends it with a kind of well love the sinner hate the sin Mm -hmm. kind of attitude which is more realistic it is but I was like oh man <laughs> well once they go to new york there'll be gays everywhere and it'll be fine yeah <laughs> well from what i understand uh kelly Loy gilbert the author is religious but what i really liked about this book is that depending on where you're at in your you know spiritual journey if you want to call it or on the spiritual spectrum you know you could you could read this as a really damning indictment of mm-hmm. organized religion or you could you could see it as, and I'm kind of in the middle, 
I see it as I don't particularly care for organized religion, but there are some good parts and then there are some really bad parts and it can lend to, you know, a lot of lend itself to a lot of abuse. Or you could see it as, oh, you know, faith is getting them through. Mm. It really depends on where you're coming from, I think. And I think she did a really good job. Right. She was letting the reader find what they needed in that, mm-hmm. for, sh- for sure. Yeah. And it was constantly questioned. Which yeah. Is different than being a religious book, because it wasn't like, this is how it is, and this is everything's cool if you just believe in God. Like, they had to wrestle with yeah. what that means, and... How does how does that work into what I'm doing and the choices that I'm making and what's happening in my life and yeah. So well, to me, baseball is also treated as a religion, which yeah. I think baseball is the true religion in the book. Does <laughs> that bring us to our dessert? Yeah, definitely. I mean, oh, I just that final baseball game right. with the Al- La Abra. La Abra. Yeah. Oh my God, that was so intense. Although probably in in the Central Valley, you'd probably say La Abra. <laughs> mm. Los Banos is Los Banos, <laughs> which means the bathroom in case you don't speak <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> but that is a town near where I grew up, and everybody calls it Los Banos. Because oh that man. team didn't care about winning or losing. They mm-hmm. were like, we are going to send a message mm-hmm. that this is not okay. And w- the whole like retribution mm-hmm. thing, or retaliation, that's what I meant. Retaliation. Thing, right? But also retribution. We're back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because at the beginning, it fuck it you up. Yeah. <laughs> it ostensibly is a book about baseball. He starts it off with the scene at the Giants game where he catches this fly pitch that he prayed, played to, no, fly ball or whatever that he prayed to God for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, God answered my prayer in this baseball. If I catch this ball, it'll be a sign that. Things are not yeah perfect. yeah, and we'll all get together, and this is the d- this is the day that Trey and Dad and I are having together, and it's wonderful, and yeah. maybe uh, maybe it'll continue. There's one line he um he says that like baseball is a game you play with ghosts. I got it right here. It, this this line gives me chills. This is when I when I put this down, I like almost cried. So good job, Kelly. <laughs> that was what wrecked me at the game today that you can't. After I finished pitching to Alex, I stumbled off the field, ignoring Cardi and my teammates yelling at me in the cold, stunned silence from my side of the crowd. In the bathroom, I sank down on the ground and crouched under the buzzing fluorescent lights until my legs stopped shaking, and I thought about how there won't ever be a time when I get up on a mound and all this doesn't haunt me, doesn't reach me, doesn't come rising up again with every pitch. How baseball is a game you play with ghosts. Damn. It's giving me chills now. <laughs> yeah. I think it was interesting and kind of, in a way, I guess, still kind of perpetuating that cycle of abuse the way that he treated it. Is it Greg, the other guy who was the pitcher, mm-hmm. who was like the relief pitcher? Because, you know, when he was just like, just do whatever Colin tells you to do, and then Greg doesn't do it, and he goes off on him. There were a few times when he shook his head when Colin gave him a, a signal, and he didn't, and he, Braden, didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know, like that idea of wanting somebody else to be better than you and getting mad at them when they aren't, or like that you he picked on the weak something guy and the other, but when the other person does it, it's wrong. Or yeah. I don't know. It was just kind of a weird, hypocritical thing going on there. Well, he definitely flies off the handle like his dad, and he yeah. gets like really emotionally and like physically. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he touch the kid at one point? Like I think so. He like pushes him or is like, "Why did you do that?" 
And he yeah. also like uh, says, "Why don't you bend over for so and so?" The other kid Ooh. who tried who tried to take a his boyfriend to prom or whatever and now everybody's just like oh that's the gay one because like that's the worst thing that you could be yeah like mm-hmm. <laughs> well especially with sports too yeah yeah but what i like about this book is that it's a baseball book but it's not a baseball book mm-hmm. and i don't like baseball i don't enjoy it i think it's slow i, th- I think it's fun to play it but watching it is akin to torture and yet <laughs> I was reading this book and like, holy crap, this is so beautiful. The way she writes about it feels like an, a religion in and of itself. What did you guys think? It was interesting. I mean, it definitely, as someone who's played softball and like mm-hmm. baseball is fine. The reason I stopped playing softball is because I got to a certain level where they wanted me to take it more seriously. And I got pushed in it, put into a position that I didn't want to play and yelled at and I cried. And I was like, I'm done with this game. Like, it wasn't fun anymore. And I think that's what's happening here, too, is, like, they're taking Mm -hmm. it so seriously. Is this fun or is this about your, like, masculinity (laughs) and identity? Gang wars, like, going on between the two teams. Sports are supposed to be fun. Like, yes, we are competitive creatures. But it is just a game. (laughs) But, like, in the end, it's it's, it's something that we constructed for ourselves to do for entertainment. That's what it is. But also, I mean, you've got the pressure of if – they can get picked up by the minor or the major leagues that this could be their ticket to going to college. It could be their ticket to a really nice lifestyle, depending on how much you're signed for. So there's that pressure, too. That's true. And also just wanting to please his father, because that's mm-hmm. what he's been conditioned to do his entire life. Yeah. So it should be fun, but it's so often not. Well, unless the kid really wants it for themselves, I just think a lot of times parents push them. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're like eight, do you really know you want to be a baseball player? <laughs> I wanted to be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I wanted to do changed every week. Exactly. So. But I think like because the dad was a minor league player, yeah. th- it's a more attainable goal than like, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, here's <laughs> something that I actually could be when I grow up because my dad was. Mm. Yeah. And he's talented, too. Mm-hmm. That loyalty, that's the last bit that I have on here, the drinks, which is also Jack Daniels and the (laughs) loyalty. How, because of our family and because of who we are brought up to care for, we are forced into these things where, like, he lies on the stand for his dad. Yeah. I don't know what I would do in that situation, to be honest. I don't. I have no idea. And I don't really want to ever experience that. No. (laughs) We have these loyalties to our family, like, even when they do things that we know are wrong. And he's punished for his loyalty. Like, in the case with lying on the stand, it's kind of himself mm-hmm. that he's punishing over it. But then the scene when he goes to L.A. or wherever to see his mom. Oh, yeah. And then comes back and the cop is like, you know, where were you? And he's just like, I was in L.A. And they're like, why? And he doesn't say why because he doesn't want to say, my mom's still alive. Surprise. I went to go see her. Like, so he's even still loyal to his dad. But then to his dad, it makes it look like he's just being a smart ass. Mm-hmm. teenager and mouthing off like in front of the cop and kind of proving him right about just being a spoiled brat or whatever mm-hmm. and then he mm-hmm. is punished for really loyalty in a way but then also disloyalty because he went to go meet his mom I don't know there's just like a whole lot of that was layers. an interesting li- like scene oh, it was so sad she's yeah. like here's a hundred dollars okay we're done <laughs> yeah. like, like I actually <laughs> don't want you in my life That that was the hardest part you know Dreaming about someone else that could care for him when his father has over and over told him that she didn't want him and then to be 
confronted with that actual reality. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And then to come back and rather than have his dad be understanding, he was like, yeah, I could have told you that. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Because that's how, I think that's how emotional abusers, uh, you know, I'm find the only their, one that loves you. Yeah. Mm. Find their people is that they, they construct this narrative of, but family, but loyalty, you know, I'm the only one you have. I'm the only one who loves you. Aren't you going to do for me what I did for you? <laughs> I also thought it was really interesting that the dad was awake that night that Trey pulled the gun on him and was just, like, waiting for him to do it. Mm. That, like, really, like, shook me a little bit, I guess. He knows he deserves it. Well, that's the other thing is like would never do it. well that was the other thing I was like is the dad just like trying to destroy himself with is like his choice in that matter like part of like he really can't anymore but then once he gets to the brink he you know and like what did he tell the lawyer right like we mm-hmm. don't know because we don't see that part of the story and we know that he's a very manipulative person and a very like convincing person people believe him and love his like pro god radio show what do you tell the lawyer that is defending you? The way it seemed to me is that the dad, Mark, convinces the lawyer that the son actually witnessed the event when he didn't. Mm-hmm. We know that the son didn't. Yeah. We don't know what got said on the stand. Because the way th- that he was being asked to witness is, like, actually the event, which he wasn't there for. Yep. Anyway. Well, that's depressing, so let's talk <laughs> about where... Ideally, we see Braden and Trey when they're living in New York. I see they're clubbing together. Yes, <laughs> they're clubbing together. Uh, Braden probably has a girlfriend. I didn't didn't think that he was gay too, but I think that they're clubbing together. Like you said, Braden's got a girlfriend. He's being courted by a minor league, and he's going to a lot of therapy and emailing with Maddie. I was I was saying gay clubbing together, not because <laughs> I thought Braden was gay, but because. He has finally accepted that gay people yeah. are just people. Yes. <laughs> and well, and, and to go to, to a gay Trey club with his brother love. to support him. Help Trey find love. Yeah, he's Trey's wingman. Get over, yes. yeah, get <laughs> over Kevin. Come on. Well, that was my other question. Is like, did you like Brayden? Everybody in the book likes him, and I don't understand why. I was like, who is this kid? This kid is boring. He felt familiar. I did like him. Uh, he's doing the best he could with a shitty situation. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it was one of those things where, like, he was so, – it was one of the, like, I'm so good-looking and I have such a okay situation or I ostensibly appear okay that everybody likes me because I'm just, like, that nice guy. And then, like, he's not that nice of a guy. But he also confronts that. So I, I did I did like that part about him. I liked Trey better. I love Trey. Yeah. <laughs> I love Trey, too. Um, I also want an older restaurateur brother to make mm-hmm. me, like, crazy – French food, but you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Trey would hopefully be doing better financially because he's not sending checks to the dad every month right. anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and doesn't have to eat ramen when he cooks all this delicious food for other people. Uh, what do you think the dad would be up to? I think the dad oh, goes on a self-destructive dr- drinking binge mm. and maybe kills himself. <laughs> he's probably still doing his radio show up until the day he dies. Yeah, though. that's kind of like what struck me about the scene when he was awake when Trey pulled the gun on him because, like, I don't know, I have had low points when I've been like, well, I'm not going to kill myself, but if somebody else were to do it, then I wouldn't have to. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of what I was thinking when that happened. 
I think he was trying to push people to that point. Oh, yeah. He tried to push the cop, and then he ended, you know, like, he yep. pushed everybody because he couldn't, he was, like, testing God in that way, you know? He but was he's like, also testing everybody else. Yeah. How loyal are you? Do you really love me? Because he doesn't love himself. No, so. he can't. He's got to he's gotta take that narcissistic supply from everybody else. Yeah. It was hard. It was a really well-written book. Was this, this was her first novel. This is a lot of the questions that it brings up, which is, I don't know, sometimes I hate that, and then, but I think it works really well here, because it just leaves a lot for the reader to think about. Brayden doesn't really come to terms with Trey being gay. Well, he comes to terms with Trey being gay, but doesn't come to terms with, like, gayness. Mm -hmm. And even the race thing, his first thing is to say, oh, well, my dad had Mexican friends and he, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. He can't be racist. And then, oh my God, when they played the transcript, when they wrote the transcript of that rant about illegals mm-hmm. or whatever, like in the courtroom. And even then, Braden was like, oh, he's not looking at illegal immigration as a race thing. It's a legal thing. When literally some of the yeah. words that he said were like, they expect us to teach in their language mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Very Central Valley, very true to life. I'm but that's cringing and also going, yep, yep, yep. It doesn't <laughs> get resolved because, like, Brayden is just thinking about individual people. He's like, well, Colin's Mexican and he's my friend. And Trey's gay and he's my brother. Mm-hmm. But, like, race Cognitive and sexuality dissonance. on a larger scale, like, he never really deals with. Because he's a privileged white kid. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> like, that was my other thing. I was like, oh, you're a privileged white boy. Like, you don't actually have yeah. to confront these things about not life. N- well, not until they slap you in the face. And now they have. Yeah. I don't know. I see good things ahead for him. I think that he'll come to terms with it. And living in New York, it's going to be really hard for him not to. Mm. That's true. In the Central Valley, you're isolated. You have a heavily white population, and then pretty much the other half is Mexican. Mexican immigrants who come to to the jobs that the white people don't want to do, as much as a lot of people don't believe that. So would you read a sequel set in New York? I don't know. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I I don't. I don't want a sequel to this because I like my head canon and I I like I like a little mystery sometimes. I think it would be. I wouldn't want to read a sequel because I don't want to deal with the dad as a character again. Mm. Mm. I want. I would love to see another novel by this person. I wonder what other things interest her. Because right. Because I was like, how is this what you're interested in? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a really a hard book to write these topics are not easy you know maybe you're familiar with the area but like all of this is like not something that you think of as like i'm gonna tackle this as my first novel you know Mm -hmm. i was like okay so you pick something really convoluted and complicated and layered i would love to see what you do with something else that deserves an equal treatment well stay tuned to foreveryoungadult.com because i will be interviewing kelly loy gilbert look for our between two lockers series excellent yeah I think that's the end for this month, right? Yes, it is. So next month we'll have Cat Howard's Roses and Rot. This was also my suggestion. So obviously I freaking loved it. I hope you do too. It's very sexy. It's about a writer sister and her younger sister who is a dancer going to an exclusive writer or artist commune and spending all their time doing nothing but working on their art and then stuff happens <laughs> sorry the the commune reminded me of a part in conviction when they're over at um, <laughs> kevin's parents house and the the pastor pastor stan and his wife and 
how they accidentally ended up in nudist hotel. Yes, <laughs> that was actually a hilarious like, story. But we made friends, and then we went to go see Jersey Boys together. <laughs> 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 that was I just great. love that. <laughs> So, on so that note, we will see you for June's book, Roses and Rot. I hope you like it. And if you don't, you'll I'll know. You can let us know. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll know. I'll sense it with my book GPS <laughs> and find <laughs> you <laughs> and punish you accordingly. But in the meantime, uh, definitely come look us up on foreveryoungadult.com. Look for our interview with Kelly Loy Gilbert. Definitely check out our themed wallpaper that our graphics genius Mandy Curtis makes every month. And find us on social media. Thank you. We'll see you next month. <laughs>